Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102 if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Dial of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. A tremendous Thursday to one and all. Welcome into the Zunya Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. We've got a tremendous show for you today as Alex Kaloje of The Score is going to be joining me in the second segment. Going to be a lot of fun. We're going to break down today's card, talk a little bit about general things that he's been noticing in baseball so far this year. So that's going to be terrific. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. Did not get any Twitter questions today. If you ever have anything that you'd like answered on the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GUnit underscore 81. So with that said, let's take a look back at yesterday's results. Try to figure out who we should be betting on, what kind of trends are out there, and try to become better handicappers for it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. I'm sure many of you can relate to me in having the Twins run line, and this was a brutal one. The Minnesota Twins had an 8-3 lead at one point point in this game they completely roughed up Trevor Kale who went four and a third innings giving up six runs all of which were earned the twins had their power going as being able to hit that home run off of Cahill was Byron Buxton his second of the year and then Jason Castro added his sixth of the year but the twins bullpen in the ninth inning completely implodes Hildenberg winds up giving up three runs and the final run was with the bases loaded and two strikes on Mike Trout beating him with a pitch just an absolutely brutal beat there. And Jake Odorizzi, the starter for the Minnesota Twins, you figured he would come back to earth a little bit, and he did in this one. Five and a third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. That includes two home runs. Jonathan Lucroy is sixth of the year, and Tommy LaSalle is 11th. The Angels continue to emerge with their bats, and the Minnesota Twins, they continue to rake as well. But with that said, you got to downgrade the Minnesota Twins bullpen a little bit after this one. The Yankees and the Orioles wound up playing a double dip, and the Yankees were able to take... Both by two runs. In the first game, it was the Yankees getting a 5-3 to three win as Baltimore actually got a decent start out of David S. in this one. Hess has not necessarily been the best starter for the team. 5-5 ADRA, but all in all, wasn't terrible. He gave up five runs, four of which were earned, about average for him. And then on the other side for the Yankees, J.A. Happ continues to struggle as a starter. Five and a third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. That includes two home runs. Renato Nunez, his seventh of the year, and Trey Mancini, his eighth, 
For the Yankees, they were able to play some home run derby as well. Cameron Maben, his first. Gary Sanchez, his 12th. And then Glaber Torres goes deep for his 6th and 7th home runs of the year. But how about the New York Yankees bullpen stepping up? Adam Ottavino, Tommy Canely, Zach Burton, and Aroldis Chapman combined for three and two-thirds innings, not giving up a single run. And then in the second game, it was just Domingo Herman time as the Yankees were able to win this game by a count of three to one. Some very good starting pitching in this one as Herman was able to go seven strong innings. He gives up just one run. And then from there, Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman once again come in and close the door. As for the Baltimore Orioles, Cashier gave a very good start in this one. Six innings pitch. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned. That did include a home run that was hit by Glaber Torres, his eighth. He obviously had a very big day. But for the Baltimore Orioles, they just weren't able to get a whole lot generated off of Domingo Herman, who is now eight and one. Has been absolutely terrific. Honestly, both these starters look like bet on guys. As for the Orioles, Andrew Kashner has been pretty good as well. And speaking of a starter that's been pretty darn good, how about Zach Greinke? As he got a lot of run support as the Arizona Diamondbacks just completely pulverized the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 11 to 1. Chris Archer makes his first start off the injured list, and it didn't go well. Three and two thirds innings, he gives up six runs, all of which were earned. Four walks, and he gave up a dinger as well. Supplying that one was Eduardo Escobar, his ninth of the year. And then Blake Swyard had an inside-the-park home run off of Chris Stratton. And Adam Jones was able to get a home run off of Stratton as well as the newly acquired piece from the LA Angels. Did not pitch well here. He has not pitched well with the Giants. He has not pitched well with the Angels. And now he's not pitched well with the Pirates as he has an 839 ERA. In four innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And the Pirates, they've been feast or famine with the bats. They've gotten back a lot of their pieces. But in this game, Zach Greinke was terrific. Seven and two-thirds innings. He only had five strikeouts, but he only gave up four hits. And then from there, the bullpen was able to deliver two and a third innings. Andrew Chafin wound up giving up a run. But all in all, things went very well for the Diamondbacks as Zach Greinke continues to look ageless. A man that looks the opposite of ageless is Edwin Jackson as he winds up making his first start of the year for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is like his 15th team. Wasn't necessarily great, but wasn't awful either. Five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, two of which were earned, including a home run in his first start of the year as the Giants were able to take this one by a count of 4-3, to three, supplying that home run, Aramis Garcia, which was his first home run of the year. And then the team also got a Brandon Crawford home run off of Tapia. That was his second home run of the year. It was a first career start for Sean Alexander for the San Francisco Giants, and he didn't look bad, but he didn't look great either. He calmed down after a little bit of a rocky first inning. He gives up three runs, two of which were earned in five innings. And then the bullpen of the Giants, which has been shaky at best of the past two weeks, was terrific in this one. Four innings pitch. They do not give up a single run as the Blue Jays continue to have their offensive woes. They had only five hits in this one, so they weren't able to get a lot generated there, but the bullpen continues to be good. They give up just one run in three innings in relief of Jackson. Another team that has a pretty good bullpen is the Cincinnati Reds as they were able to get a 6-5 to extra running win over the Chicago Cubs. For the Cubs, they really got a lot of home runs in this one. Addison Russell, his first of the year. Albert Almora Jr., his third. And Kyle Schwarber, his fifth of the campaign. Two of those home runs came off of the starter, Sonny Gray, who appears to be falling back to earth. In five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including those two home runs. The other home run was given up by Dylan Hernandez in the eighth inning. And then the only other run that the Reds' bullpen gave up was an unearned run. So essentially in five innings of relief, they gave up one earned run, two runs total. But for the Cincinnati Reds, even though the average isn't necessarily there with the team, they were able to get some power in this one and 12 hits as well, which is an encouraging sign as Jose Iglesias, his third home run of the year, and and Eugenio Suarez, his 13th as the Suarez home run was a big one as he had three RBI in this one. And the Reds were able to get the job done in the 10th inning with Yasiel Puig, a guy that has struggled all year long being able to get an RBI single off of Brad Brock, a guy that has been very serviceable out of the bullpen for the Cubs, but in this one, the bullpen let them down as all four bullpen arms that came into the Chicago Cubs in the 7th inning or later gave up one run. Brandon Kitzler, Carl Edwards Jr., the aforementioned Brock, and Kyle Ryan. So that was not good, but you have to be encouraged by you, Darvish. Five and a third innings, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned, no walks, and 11 strikeouts. By far his best start of the year. So a little bit of a silver lining there for the Chicago Cubs. This is a game that got off to a fast start and then died. The Washington Nationals wind up taking down the New York Mets by a count of 5-1. to one. 
Wilmer Font, probably his last start. Two and a third innings for the New York Mets. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned, and that includes a home run that was belted out by Victor Robles, his eighth of the year. On the flip side for the Washington Nationals, Patrick Corbin, absolutely terrific in his start. Eight innings pitch. He gives up one run. He does a 291 ERA, and Sean Doolittle, a Essentially, the only arm that you can rely upon in the Nationals' bullpen was able to pitch a scoreless inning as well. But for the New York Mets, they actually got some good bullpen pitching in this one. Drusich Familia, Spanish for blown save, entered into the game, did not give up a run. Drew Gagnon wound up pitching two and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball. As did Tyler Bachelor, who came in for two innings and did not give up anything as well. But with the Mets... Their bats continue to struggle. Just four hits in this one. This is a team that was playing a lot of overs towards the beginning of the year. Now they're playing a lot of unders. Two teams have been playing a lot of unders so far this year. The Brewers and the Phillies played another one as it was the Brewers getting a 5-2 win over the Philadelphia Phillies. Gio Gonzalez continues to be really good. This is a little bit shocking. Five and a third innings. He gives up just one run, and that was actually a solo shot. Gene Segura, that was his third home run of the year. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, they were able to take advantage of two Philadelphia Phillies errors. With the Brewers, though, you have to be a little bit concerned that they hit three for 16 with Ben in scoring position, but still very encouraging sign with Gio Gonzalez. And then on the flip side for Jake Arrieta, once again, he appears as though he's starting to fade a bit. Six innings pitch, he gives up five runs, four of which were earned. From there, the bullpen of the Philadelphia Phillies looked very good. Juan Niasco, Hector Neris, and Jose Alvarez all provide a scoreless inning, but for the Phillies, their offense seems to be going in swoons, and Jake Arrieta right now not necessarily looking his best. The Colorado Rockies were able to make a nice comeback against the Boston Red Sox, but it was not enough as the Red Sox were able to get a 6-5 to win in this one. For the Colorado Rockies, they were able to hold down the fort after Herman Marquez gave up five runs, all of which were earned in six and a third innings, but it was Chad Bettis that wound up giving up the game-winning run in the 10th inning as the Boston Red Sox were able to win the game on a Michael Chavis RBI single. Eduardo Rodriguez had a good start in this one. He winds up going the first six innings while giving up just two runs and then he got blown up in the seventh. He winds up leaving after six innings of total work going into the seventh and not recording it out. Five runs, all of which were earned. He did have ten strikeouts, but then from there, the Boston Red Sox bullpen is able to provide four scoreless innings including guys like Keith Embry, Brandon Workman, Matt Barnes, and Marcus Walden. And then J.D. Martinez continues to be hot for this team. He had three RBI and a home run in this one. That was his ninth of the campaign. A team that you really had to bet on in this one was the Houston Astros as they take down the Detroit Tigers by a count of 5-1. to one. Gregory Soto wound up going two innings in his start on short rest. He winds up giving up two runs. That includes a home run to Alex Bregman who wound up being able to get his 14th of the year. And then Justin Verlander was sensational against the Detroit Tigers team that continues to play unders and continues to not generate offense. He goes seven innings, gives up just one run. That actually was a solo shot for the Tigers in Jacoby Jones, his third of the year. But then the Tigers' bullpen actually looked pretty decent. If you have one good takeaway for the Tigers, they go seven innings. They just they give up just two runs, including Zach Rennington going in for two innings and giving up one run. He now has a ERA of a 10-13, so that actually lowered it quite significantly. Speaking of teams that lowered their ERA significantly, the Tampa Bay Rays were able to knock off the Miami Marlins by a count of 1-0. For the Rays, this was just their second straight-up win in which they did not cover on the run line. They have now won 24 of their 26 games by 2-plus runs as the Rays just didn't really have a lot of offense in this one. They wound up going 1-for-7 in men in scoring position, but everyone that was pitching for this team was fantastic. Ryan Stanek was the opener, and then Jalen Beeks gives three strong, and then from there, you had so many guys like Cloreric, Pagan, Jose Alvarado, Chaz Rowe. They were all able to do their job, and then Diego Castillo was able to close it out. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, you have to be encouraged at Jose Urania at the start that he did. He now has an ERA of a 4-4-4, six innings pitch, gives up just one run, and then from there, the bullpen of the Miami Marlins able to provide three scoreless innings, but for the Marlins, they went 0-for-10 with men in scoring position with 11 men left on base. This offense of the Miami Marlins just is not one that can be trusted. And a pair of offenses that just were not on on Wednesday as well were the Atlanta Braves and the St. Louis Cardinals. Braves wind up taking this one by a count of 4-0. to zero. The Braves themselves 0-for-5 with men in scoring position, but it helped that they were able to get a couple home runs. Charlie Culberson winds up going deep for his third home run of the year. And then the call-up was able to go deep for the first time in his career in Austin Riley. 
and they were able to get a quality start out of Mike Soroka. He goes seven innings, does not give up a single run, just three hits. And then from there, Luke Jackson is able to provide a two-inning save. Meanwhile, for the St. Louis Cardinals, Michael Waka actually provided a good start in this one. He goes five innings, gives up two runs, just one of which was earned. And then from there, the bullpen wasn't necessarily great as John Gant had his worst outing of the year. He now has just a 148 ERAs. He gives up two runs in one inning of relief, but all in all, he's been very good for the year. But for the St. Louis Cardinals, they just weren't able to get anything going as they just had three hits in this contest. Another team that wasn't able to get a whole lot of runs, the Kansas City Royals, as they were playing host of the Texas Rangers, and the Rangers were able to get a 6-1 win as Mike Miner, another solid start for the team. He wasn't able to go deep because he wound up giving up eight hits, but he did a great job of mitigating the damage, giving up just one run. His ERA now a 261. As for the Texas Rangers, they got four scoreless innings out of the bullpen, including Jesse Chavez coming in and doing a nice job. That was a little bit of a surprise. And lowering his ERA to a 707, Jeanmar Gomez. So obviously some unexpected things there. Some things that are expected, though, the Texas Rangers offense being able to get a couple home runs as Sin Chu Chu goes deep for his fifth of the year. Ronald Guzman is fourth. And then the biggest surprise is Willie Calhoun winds up hitting his first dinger of the year. He was recently just recalled from AAA Nashville, and the man that gave up two of those three home runs, our man Jorge Lopez, as his ERA currently a 629. He gives up five runs off, which were earned in five and two-thirds innings. And then from there, they actually got a solid relief appearance out of Glenn Sparkman. He goes three innings. He gives up just one run. So his ERA now at 3.15. The Kansas City Royals bullpen has been a little bit better as of late, but they just weren't able to hit with men in scoring position. One for 11 in that aspect. And a team that wasn't able to hit at all with men in scoring position as well, the San Diego Padres, as they lose to the Dodgers by a count of 2-0. to zero. Matt Stram wasn't able to go deep in this one. He got touched up for seven hits and five innings, but gave up two runs. And then the San Diego Padres bullpen was able to deliver three innings of relief, but this is a Padres team that was only able to muster four hits as Kenta Maeda looked very solid for the Dodgers. In six and two-thirds innings, he gives up just three hits, 12 strikeouts. Kenley Jansen got in a little bit of trouble in the ninth inning, but he was able to work around that in 26 pitches. And then for the LA Dodgers, the man that drove in both the runs in this game, Kenta Maeda. So he was really the MVP of this game. As the big takeaways from this Wednesday are the fact that the Arizona Diamondbacks bats are really getting going. The LA Angels have continued to pick things up. The Yankees bullpen looking very solid. The Blue Jays continue to play unders. The Cincinnati Reds continue to get good pitching out of their bullpen as well. The Mets bats are very sleepy. The Phillies and Brewers are playing a lot of unders. The Houston Astros continue to mash. The Marlins continue to do the complete opposite of that. Mike Miner continues to be a very good starter. And the Atlanta Braves seem to be improving with their pitching staff in general. So that was yesterday. Now let's turn the page forward to today as Alex Kaloje of The Score is going to be joining me next, preview some of Thursday's action, and just take a look at the season in general. That is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. It is a great pleasure to be joined by our next guest. He covers a little bit of everything over there at the score. Terrific handicapper, terrific writer in general. And you can follow him on Twitter at Alex Kaloje. And that is spelled A L A. E-X. I'm sure you didn't have a tough time spelling the first name, but the last name, K-O-L-O-D-Z-I-E-J. And Alex, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being on, and I know you've been doing quite a bit of work with regards to both the NBA playoffs and the MLB so far this year. What have you noticed from baseball so far this year that's really stood out to you? Because I've noticed a couple things like Ace pitchers being a really good fade this year with all those plus prices. The Rays covering the all but one game on the run line so far this year in regards to their wins have been big. What are, what are a couple things that really stood out to you? Yeah, it's funny you say that. My buddy and I, we, last year, I think the market was a little bit slow to catch up to Kyle Freeland, Colorado Rocky Southpaw, who was tremendous last season, very undervalued. And he had a, a pretty nice streak to the first five under at Coors. Pitching well at Coors, obviously not easy, but... 
he seemed to figure it out. And, and this year it's a little bit different. He hasn't pitched as well at home. So that trend seems to be drying up. But overall, I just think in the general scope of MLB handicapping, how much advanced metrics and statistics there are, thinking about how I was capping games four or five years ago, the tools that I was using then compared to what I'm using now, it's, it's completely night and day when you talk about stat cast and launch angles and barrel rate and spin rate. And now you have all these tools. So I think it's making handicapping a little bit more unorthodox for the better. But MLB handicapping has been fun. Um, we're off to a pretty good start six weeks in. So, you know, it's a, it's a long season. It's tough to get complacent and whatnot, but off to a good start. And so far, the, uh, the season's been pretty interesting, obviously, with all the free agent signings and the teams like the Twins and the Rays coming up and leading their respective divisions. So it's been a, it's been a fun season so far. And obviously, it's a marathon, so a lot left to do. Absolutely. And you talk about having to use so many different tools now as compared to a couple of years ago when you do your baseball handicapping. How do you look at bullpens and everything like that? I know that some betters now just go F5 and everything like that just because they want <laughs> absolutely no part of the bullpen. I'm one of those people, I'd still like to take full games, and I do a lot of my research on these bullpens, what guys are trustworthy, what guys aren't, what guys we can expect to see the next day and everything like that. Is that something that you do personally? Yeah, the first five bet, obviously, like I said, and, that, and it's kind of funny you say that because I don't normally play first five bets, but when it came to... Kyle Freeland last year, we were playing the first five under so much just because we were getting such a high number and in cores and he was pitching like an ace and, and we were almost getting too many runs in that situation. But outside of that, I typically like to play full games. I, I will play first fives here or there if there's a bullpen I can't trust. But when you're talking about bullpen units collectively, they're just so volatile these days. Top five bullpens in the league can you know, have a stinker or, you know, go a couple games putting up bad numbers. So it's not something I like to take into account just based off the volatility uh, of all of them. So I don't, I don't try to let it affect my handicapping too much unless there are, you know, a ton of arms that have been used over a series, extra inning games. But for the most part, it's not something that is at the forefront of, you know, when I prioritize my capping. Absolutely. We've got Alex Kolodzie joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And how funny is it that on Thursday, we've got two of the worst bullpens going at it in the <laughs> New York Mets and the Washington Nationals. Fortunately, with the Mets, they've got one of their more trustworthy arms out there on the mound at Zach Wheeler. I know that he's been a little bit up and down, but he's going up against a guy in Anibal Sanchez who right now owns six. It's not necessarily going well for him. What do you make out these two teams? Because the Nationals bats have not been very good recently, but they are getting back Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto. Meanwhile, the Mets, ever since the start of May, they've really had a tough time with the offense as well. Yeah, this Nationals team to me is intriguing because I thought maybe the market was overcorrecting them a little bit. And I kind of overhyped the Nationals too, even the post Bryce Harper signing with Philly. You look at the roster, there's still a lot of talent and a lot of young players that could make immediate impacts. But you, like you said, the injuries have kind of derailed them. The bullpen's been brutal. You can't lose seven of nine Max Scherzer starts. You're just not going to win games like that, especially in the division. I know the division hasn't been great to start, but I think we'll start to see a true reflection of that division peak as we start to get the season rolling on. Anibal Sanchez last season was such an anomaly, the way he kind of came back and made a name for himself in Atlanta. And then I think looking now with the park factors and Washington is going to play against him and the fact that Washington has just been so bad, can't give him any run support. It's such a weird dynamic to see Washington fail like this. I thought they were a talented team and you have to think maybe Davey Martinez is going to be on the hot seat if he's not already and might be the first manager fired. And it's funny that we bring that up too, because if there is a prop bet for the first manager fired, I would like to see what Davey Martinez's odds would be, because that would be the guy that I would keep tabs on. I certainly would as well. And a guy that might be on his way out pretty soon is Ned Yost with the Kansas City Royals as well. As things not necessarily going well there as they're going to be taking on the Texas Rangers on Thursday. And it is good old Homer Bailey taking the bump for the Kansas City Royals and Lance Lynn going for the Texas Rangers. Rangers have one of the most explosive offenses out there in the big leagues. The Royals have been playing a bunch of overs because their pitching staff not very good. And right now I'm seeing a total on this game of 10. With this pretty much a pick 'em line, what do you make out of this? Because Lance Lynn, not a guy I want to be sticking my chips in the middle with. Homer Bailey, we all know the stats. And like his last 33 or 34 starts, I think teams that he started for have won six of them. 
it's just not good, whichever, whichever way you look at it. Yeah, Homer Bailey's peripherals on the surface don't look too bad, but you dig into some of the deeper metrics, and he's given up a lot of hard hit balls. The launch angle hasn't been great. Barrel rate hasn't been great. So he's a guy that I've actually kind of, I wouldn't say zigzagged on because I don't like to use the word zigzag. I don't, it, it's kind of a lazy way to cap when you're just kind of going the opposite and going contrarian. But he's been a guy that I've kind of faded off good starts. If weather is okay in Kauffman Stadium, I, I would lean to that over at 10. It opened up 10.5, went down to 10. Lance Lynn's another guy who you look at the Texas Rangers pitching staff as a whole. It's either been really good or really bad. And Lance Lynn's kind of right in the middle there. But honestly, these two offenses, especially Kansas City, I think Kansas City at 15 and 27 obviously hasn't been great this season. But they do have a lot of potent bats in that lineup. When you talk about Merrifield and Dozier, Mondesi and Solaire, they actually have a nice one through five there. And they're a team that I've actually been playing a lot of overs with to start the season. So at that number at 10, I would probably lean to the over in that game. I think that it's probably going to be a runs of plenty out there in Kansas City <laughs> as we have Alex Kolodzie joining me right here on the podcast. A place where I don't think runs are going to be a plenty is in Cincinnati as the Reds have by far the best underrate out there in the big leagues. They've only played 14 overs going into Wednesday's slate and it's going to be Luis, Luis Castillo going on the mound for the Reds against the Cubs who sent out there Jose Quintana. Both these pitchers are guys that I really like and right now I'm seeing a total out there of eight and a half. I think that this is going to be an interesting game. Luis Castillo has been one of the nice surprises of the regular season. Jose Quintana has really come alive as of late since his last start against the Milwaukee Brewers. I think this might be a good spot for an under. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Luis Castillo, one of the more underrated guys coming into the season. He had to figure Cincinnati's pitching staff and the new pitching coach um, and the additions that they made. I know Sonny Gray, win-loss record doesn't tell the full tale, but he's been pretty good. He's, he's kind of having a, a nice bounce-back season. Tanner Roark had a nice outing, even though they lost. And then you have Luis Castillo here, who is kind of in contention for the NL Cy Young. And he started off extremely well. And I think we talk about the pitchers here in a recipe for an under, but the Cincinnati bats have just been abysmal to start the season. I mean, it doesn't matter where they're playing outside of that series against San Francisco when they hit 16 home runs or whatever it was um, in Great American Ballpark. The offense has just been tough to watch. So, as the season goes on, I think you'll start to see the order and, and their lineups kind of shift back toward the mean and their pitching staff also come down a little bit. But at 18 and 24, with Cincinnati's win total at 78 and a half, this is a stance I had on the under. I'm intrigued to see how this season plays out, what they do at the deadline. And what I know I'm kind of rambling on given like season outlooks, but <laughs> this is kind of stuff that I, I do want to talk about. But Chicago, Cincinnati, Eight and a half, I'd go under as well, mainly just because of, of Cincinnati's offense. They've just been so tough to trust over the last couple of weeks. I agree with you. And a team with a very interesting outlook as well as the Minnesota Twins. If you had the run line on the Twins yesterday against the Angels like I did, up four runs going into the ninth inning and don't cover, I feel a little bit bad for you. But this is going to be a game where I do think that the total of nine is not going to hold us. You've got Eric Swanson going for the Seattle Mariners and his 635 ERA. And Michael Pineda has looked more like Michael Pineda recently with his 585 ERA. I do think that this is going to be a game that is certainly going to be a slugfest. And we're noticing that this is a game in which you have the early season surprise in the Seattle Mariners going against the more recent surprise in the Minnesota Twins. What do you make out of this in general? Because I think that this is a very interesting spot. Yeah, I'll probably be on some form of Twins in the over or the Twins team total over. I've been fading Eric Swanson essentially the entire season. Faded him against Cleveland, faded him against Boston, and so far it's been great. Playing in Seattle, Seattle's weird. T-Mobile Park was mostly seen as as somewhat of a pitcher-friendly park, but it's actually one of the better parks for fly ball hitters. I think it's number five of the majors for home run per high drive. Nice stat dug up by Eno Saris of The Athletic. And so I've been playing a lot of overs in T-Mobile and obviously talking about Seattle's offense. I mean, between Seattle and Minnesota, there might be eight hits in the game, but they might all be home runs. This is a game where I'm either going Minnesota in the over or Minnesota's team total over. I've been fading Eric Swanson all season long. I don't think that this is the time to, to stop that train. And going into Wednesday, Seattle 30, 13 and two to the over so far this year, which I think is just absolutely mind blowing as we do have Alex Cloje joining me right here on the podcast. And then there are a couple of teams that have been doing really well with the offense. Obviously we pointed out the amount of home runs that the Mariners and the twins are hitting. 
How about the way that the Houston Astros are hitting? Now, granted, it's nice when you're going up against starters like Ryan Carpenter, Gregory Soto, and whatnot, but this is an Astros team that I think has a ton of value. They've got the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, and we're seeing everyone from top to bottom hitting, and it all starts with George Springer. Yeah, Springer, Bregman, Correa. I mean, even a Ledmus Diaz is homering. That's when you kind of know things are on. Michael Brantley, too, has been maybe the best addition for any team. Big nice is all of a sudden I mean, <laughs> when Robinson Torinos is hitting home runs, that's how you kind of know that everything's on the same page. And then when you take a look at the game for Thursday, it is going to be the Oakland A's getting the Detroit Tigers, but the Tigers on Thursday are actually going to be throwing out their Spencer Turnbull. I actually think there might be some value here with the Detroit Tigers because Turnbull, among the top 15 or 20 players with regards to ERA, I actually like what he's shown so far this year. Meanwhile, with the Oakland A's, they really struggled on the road, but Chris Bassett seems to be a guy that has really been giving them some good results too. With a total of eight and a half here, this is one in which I really do have to look at the under with both teams really struggling with the bats. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Bassett's been good. He's been a nice fill-in, and that rotation kind of was a question mark coming in with Minaya on the DL. Oakland never really has a star-set pitching staff. They just kind of get what they can out of the guys that they put in there. But yeah, I'm with you on this. And I think Detroit, after facing, I know Brad Peacock isn't anything to write home about, but you know that you get a guy like Wade Miley in there who is an out-getter, and then you face Justin Verlander and, and coming home and playing Chris Bassett. I wouldn't be surprised if Detroit's finally taking a, a breath of fresh air there with seeing Oakland instead of Houston and their pitching staff and their offense. But yeah, Oakland on the road. Pitchers Park in Comerica, this is another game that I would probably lean toward the under in Detroit. I do agree with you there. And is there anything else in general that's sending out to you in regards to the baseball slate? Because I know that we went through a lot of these games, and I think that there's one in particular I might be missing. Who would think that this would be perhaps an early Cy Young matchup? Zach Davies versus Zach Eflin going down in Philadelphia on Thursday, this is one with a total of eight and a half shaved to the over. I have no idea why. Zach Eflin, in two of his last three games, has delivered a complete game. And Zach Davies leads the majors in regards to starting pitchers with an ERA below a 1.55. I think that this is going to be a really good game. And what people forget is that the Brewers are the second best team in the majors in regards to the under. Yeah, this is probably a stay away for me. If anything, I'd probably lean toward Philly, but would wait to get him. At minus 120 or better, Zach Davies is a guy who throws 88 and for some reason just continues to give up soft contact. He's not a strikeout guy, but he's keeping the ball down. Zach Eflin, like you said, he comes in hot. He had a really rough start to the year, but has since bounced back. I would lean toward Philly, but again, would wait for a better number. I think that number was going to come down a little bit. And what we're noticing in general in baseball this year is a lot of the better pitchers out there are guys that don't necessarily have the best swing and miss stuff. Zach Eflin is a guy that per every nine innings, I think has right around, what, seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings. Zach Davies a little bit under that. Both these guys have really been dealing. And then you take a look at the guys like the Max Scherzers, your Jacob DeGroms and company. They're obviously still having good individual numbers, but the teams haven't necessarily gotten it done for them because they do jack their pitch count up. Yeah, it's totally weird to see these guys struggle early in the season, and I know Chris Sale's gotten off. A terrible start has been good since, but when you look at Sale, Scherzer, DeGrom, before he went on the DL, he was getting shelled by Minnesota, you know, a couple other teams. Noah Syndergaard, too, his ERA was jacked up over five before. And it's just so weird in this current day of baseball where throw in 95 and, and getting swings and misses is what's kind of valuable. You have these guys like Zach Davies, who's throwing 88 mile an hour cheese balls and he's allowing just soft contact. And a guy like Wade Miley, like, like I brought up earlier, is a guy who hasn't allowed more than three earned runs in a start since his final start of 2017. So he's a year plus in and he hasn't given up more than three earned runs. And he's a guy who's not exactly a strikeout artist. So it's definitely weird to see how different teams value these different pitchers. And sometimes these guys that throw 97, 98 miles an hour you know, aren't getting the job done. So, yeah, definitely a weird dynamic on that and heck, part. Let's even go a little bit further. Kyle Hendricks of the Chicago Cubs has went 25 innings in his last three games. He all of a sudden looks like the second coming of Greg Maddox. This is a guy that he throws, what, 86, 87? It's absolutely insane to see guys like that just going so deep into games. Yeah, and I mean, he's, he, he faced Arizona. He's playing in Great American. These aren't cheap outings. You know, he's playing good teams. He's playing in hitters' parks. So 
yeah, it's definitely intriguing to see how that's played out, you know, over the course of the first six weeks of the season. Absolutely. And Alex, I would like to get you out on this. I know that you're doing tremendous work out there with the score, not just in baseball, but I know you've been doing a lot with the NBA playoffs and so many other things as well. Let the good people at home know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your work, and just a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, well, I know you gave out the Twitter handle prior to the show. My work's found on the score. Download the app. Check out the betting section. We just launched it about nine months ago, and we're hitting the ground running with that, launching a new sports book here in the coming months. And just check out the site in general. A lot of good features, a lot of good videos. They're doing tremendous work over there, and I'm definitely glad to be a part of the team for sure. Tremendous. A big thanks to Alex Cologe for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. Are you looking to take your Game 2 experience between the Golden State Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers today to the next level? Do it with Yamble. Yamble is a brand new sports prediction app that lets you predict what will happen during the next play of the game, the next few minutes, you name it, you're able to do it. Bring your takes to the game, to the table, and rack up the points as the game plays out. The highest score gets paid out in real cash every game. You heard me. Real cash every game. Yamble is like HQ Trivia. 100% free to play and download, and it pays out after each game. Just search Yamble in the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's Yamble. Y-A-M-B-L-E, just like Gamble with a Y in front of it. They are running games every night now through the duration of the NBA playoffs, so download now and start yambling. That's Yamble, like gambling with a Y. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. Thanks to Alex Kaloje for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time of the show in which I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be up on my Twitter page at GNRScore81. As per the usual, some of these plays are all locked in. I've already bet on them, everything like that. Some of these plays waiting on maybe some lineup changes, waiting on a line move, things like that. I'll be noting that as we go along, and we're going to be going, as always, in Las Vegas rotation order, starting with 9:51, 9:52. The New York Mets go to Washington to face off against the Nationals. Anibal Sanchez goes for the Nationals. Zach Wheeler for the New York Mets. Total in this game is 9, and the under is minus 115 juice. The over is minus 105. If you like the Nationals, you're going to get a plus price here, plus 115. If you want to lay it here with the Mets, that is minus 125. This is just a big pitching mismatch. I know that Zach Wheeler has not necessarily been his normal self so far this year, but you take a look at the other side for Anibal Sanchez. 0-6 record, 5-2-70 ERA. He's allowed six home runs in 41 innings, and he's allowed 24 walks as well. Wheeler has a little bit of an issue with the walks as well. 19 of them in 49 and two-thirds innings, but a 4-35 ERA, 1-35 whip, and he's given up just three home runs. And we've noticed with the New York Mets that They've been a little bit colder with the bats recently, but they still do have some guys that are doing a great job of hitting. Pete Alonso hitting 270 with his 12 home runs is obviously valuable. And then you have at the top of the lineup Jeff McNeil hitting nearly 350. And then from there, you've got some guys that are struggling with the bat. Michael DeComforto, 273 average is nice. Robinson Cano hitting 250. You got to think that'll tick up. And then Wilson Ramos hitting 237 is okay, along with J.D. Davis at 273. The guy that I've really been interested in is Amid Rosario, 282 average. He seems to be doing a better job this year. And for the Nationals, they just need to get Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto going once again. Anthony Rendon was able to hit a couple RBI yesterday. That was good for his confidence. And Juan Soto only hitting 233 for the year. But Howie Kendrick has been very good for this team. Six home runs, hitting above 300. And then we've noticed the top lineup, 
hasn't been getting on the way that they were at the beginning of the year. Adam Eaton hitting 273, Victor Robles 255, Wilmer Defaw at the bottom of the lineup is hitting just 240, and Brian Dozier continues to be at the Mendoza line, but with Anibal Sanchez and the way that he's pitching, I think that a Mets team that has quite a bit of power is going to be able to tee off here, and I do think that Zach Wheeler is going to be able to give a good outing, and I do think that when he turns it over to the bullpen, the Mets are going to give up some runs, and with the Nationals, they have the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big league, so I do think that we're going to have some runs in this one. I'm going to be on the over. I'm going to be looking at a Mets run line in this spot. Currently, I'm seeing the Mets run line at plus 125 across the board, so would like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of a plus number there. And I'm currently in wait seed mode on this over just because I am noticing a little bit of something coming in on the under right now, so perhaps I'll be able to get 8.5. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers are in Philadelphia to face off against the Phillies. The Battle of the Zacks as Zach Davies goes for the Milwaukee Brewers. Zach Eflin for the Philadelphia Phillies. Total on this game, 8.5, with the over anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is between minus 105 and even. If you like the Brew Crew, you're going to get anywhere between plus 113 and plus 115. The Phillies are anywhere between minus 123 and minus 125 favorites. We were talking about it in the last segment with our guest Alex Kolodzie, but I've really liked what I've seen out of both these pitchers. This is a spot where I look at the under and I've already fired on it. This is a game in which I just don't see either team being able to exceed four runs. I think that this is a little bit of a no-brainer here. And I'm taking a look at the Milwaukee Brewers in this spot. Something that we know with the Philadelphia Phillies is that when they're on, their bats are really firing on all cylinders. But I know that Bryce Harper has been missing from the lineup the past couple days. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, they have by far the best slugger on either side in Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich for the year hitting above 330. He's provided 15 home runs. He's hit a bunch of RBI. The guy's been absolutely terrific. You've got some other guys that are starting to pick it up as well. Ryan Braun and Lorenzo Cain have their averages back above 260. Orlando Arcia has a 255 average. Jesus Aguiar above 200 now. With Manny Pina and Travis Shaw, both these guys are struggling and they're both not in the lineup every day as a result. Both these guys hitting well below 200. And Mike Moustakis has been a little bit hit or miss with his average hovering around 250. But on the other side for the Philadelphia Phillies, Andrew McCutcheon hitting just 235. Bryce Harper was back yesterday and he's now hitting below 220. JT Riamuto and Reese Hoskins both hitting in the realm of 275 and Cesar Hernandez hitting above 300 is nice and what I will say is that Reese Hoskins and his 12 home runs has been a nice find and Jeet Segura hitting above 300 and getting his third home run yesterday was nice but with the Milwaukee Brewers this is the second best team to the under in all the big leagues and the Philadelphia Phillies themselves entering into Wednesday 57.5% of their games went under, and it's because the Phillies have the seventh best bullpen ERA in the, out there in the bigs. Got guys like Hector Neris, Pat Neshek, and company doing a good job out there. And then with the Milwaukee Brewers, they're at the league average in regards to bullpen ERA, but you got to think that Josh Hader is going to be able to deliver a save if they need it. Jeremy Jeffries is starting to look like his normal self, even though he gave up a run in this series already. And then you've got other guys that are able to do a good job like Alex Claudio. So looking at this total under, but I am on the Brewers, currently Wayne C mode on the Brewers, but I've already locked in the total under. 9.55, 9.56 on the bang rotation. The Chicago Cubs are in Cincinnati. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati to face off against the Reds. Luis Castillo goes for the Reds. Jose Quintana for the Cubs. Total in this game is 8.5. And the 8.5 comes with juice of anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115 on the under. Over between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Chicago Cubs, you're going to be getting a plus price anywhere between plus 110 and plus 117. One lady here with the Reds, that's anywhere between minus 120 and minus 127. This is a game that, once again, me and Alex talked about a little bit earlier. And this is a spot where I really do have to take a look at at the under, and this is an under I've already fired in on. I really like both these pitchers. Luis Castillo comes in with an ERA below two, and aside from a couple not-so-great starts, Jose Quintana for the year has been a relatively trustworthy pitcher. Quintana 4-2 record, 3-5-0 ERA. The six home runs of 46 and a third innings is a bit high, but he's only issued 14 walks and he's got 46 strikeouts. Castillo, in 56 and a third innings, has allowed just three home runs. Now, the 24 walks, that's also pretty high, but 70 strikeouts, .99 whip, 176 ERA for Castillo. And we know that the Cincinnati Reds are backed up by one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. Got like the way that guys like Michael Lorenzen and Amir Garrett have been pitching out there in the pen. And for the Chicago Cubs, guys like Brandon Kitzler, 
Brad Brock and company, they're getting the job done. But I do like these Chicago Cubs bats a whole heck of a lot better. This is going to be a little bit of a strength-on-strength thing with the pitching, and I do think that the equalizer is the fact that with the Chicago Cubs, you've got two guys in the middle of the lineup in Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras that both have a double-digit amount of home runs and are both hitting above 300. Now, we've seen Daniel Descalso and Jason Award both fall back to earth with their average. They're both hitting below 250 now, but Chris Bryant has upped his average to a 266. We've noticed that Anthony Rizzo has been out of the lineup, but you got to think that the addition of Addison Russell is going to help. He's right now hitting just above 200, but was able to get his first home run of the year yesterday. Albert Almora Jr. was also able to go yard. That was a big find for the Chicago Cubs. And then with this team in general, you just have a bunch of guys like David Bodie and company that just do a good job of being able to generate some offense. Meanwhile, with the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that has a collective hitting below 220. Jose Iglesias has by far the best average on the team. He's the only starter in yesterday's lineup that wound up leaving with a batting average above 260 as Eugenio Suarez has also done a nice job with his 12 home runs and he's hitting 255. Nick Senzel, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, is hitting 250. He's got three home runs, but Joey Votto hitting 204. Yasiel Puig just above 210. Jesse Winker just below 220. Dan Diedrich 230. Though I will say that with Winker and Dan Diedrich, both these guys have been able to provide some home runs, but it's just one of those situations where you got to trust in the Cubs bats rather than the Reds. So I will gladly take the plus price here with the Cubs. I'm noticing that there's steam coming in on Luis Castillo, so I'm in Wayne C mode there, but have already locked in this total under. 957, 958 on the bag rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals are in Atlanta to face off against the Braves. Adam Wainwright goes for the Cardinals. Julio Tehran for the Atlanta Braves as the total on this game is 9.5. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at taking a shot here on the Cardinals, that is anywhere between even juice and minus 102. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it here with the Braves, it's anywhere between minus 108 and minus 110. And I know that Adam Wainwright has really gotten up there in age, but... Julio Tehran is a guy that's just very hard to trust. Julio Tehran, very good swing and miss stuff, but he also has a massive issue with the walks. That is currently why he is 2-4 with a 4-2-6 ERA. He's issued 22 walks in 15 two-thirds innings. Meanwhile, on the flip side, Fred Wainwright, he's got pretty good control. 43 and a third innings, he's given up 14 walks, and both these guys have allowed their fair share of home runs. Adam Wainwright, 7 home runs given up for the year. Julio Tehran, 8 home runs. Obviously, Tehran does a good job of getting punch outs. 52 of them so far this year, so he does a little bit of a better job in that respect, but I also have more faith in the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen. Other than Dominique Leone and to a certain extent Andrew Miller, who I do think will eventually get online, they've got a bunch of guys that have been doing a very good job, like Greg Gallegos. You got Jordan Hicks whenever you need a save, so I really do like those arms. Meanwhile, with the Atlanta Braves, you got to feel like at some point, they're going to see some of their guys like Luke Jackson and company come back to earth with regards to their ERA because they've been getting some very good outings out of guys like Josh Tomlin. It's a little bit unreal to think that they're going to be able to keep this up, especially with the starting staff of the Atlanta Braves not being able to give good starts, guys like Michael Fultonavich and company. And that could be part of why Sean Newcomb is currently out there in the bullpen. But with that said, I do think that we're going to get a little bit of a lower scoring game in this one, so I'm going to take it under. With the St. Louis Cardinals, I really do like the way that top to bottom they are hitting aside from Matt Carpenter. At the top of the lineup, he's hitting right at 200. That's not necessarily been good, but Colton Wong was able to get on track a couple days ago with a home run. Dexter Feller is hitting 300. Yadier Molina is really shaking off his slow start. He's now hitting 280. Jose Martinez and Paul DeYoung both hitting above 315. Bug- Goldschmidt has gotten his average to a 270. He's got 10 home runs. Marcelo Zuna, not necessarily hitting for the best of averages, but when you hit 12 home runs, that'll alleviate for a lot of things. And the Braves have a very good lineup themselves. Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies, both able to provide a lot of power and both are hitting above 260. Tyler Flowers and Brian McCann, both at the catcher spot, have been doing a nice job. Dansby Swanson has provided over 25 RBI. Freddie Freeman hitting above 300. Nick Marquez has fallen back to earth, but he and Josh Donaldson both are able to hit quite decently and provide some power. So I do think that this is going to be a close game, but I do look at the plus price here with the St. Louis Cardinals. I have Wainwright as a little bit of a slight advantage over Julio Tehran, and I like the bullpen a little bit better, and just the overall bats of the Cardinals in general. So for that reason, I'm going to be taking the St. Louis Cardinals and the under just in Wayne Simo because I think that there's a little bit of steam coming in on the Braves, and I want to be laying a little bit less than minus 115 on the juice with regards to the under. 959, 960 on the bang rotation. 
the San Diego Padres play host to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Trevor Williams goes for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Eric Lauer for the Padres. The total on this game is 8.5 with the under at minus 115 juice, the over minus 105. If you're looking at the Padres, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 123 and minus 125. The Pirates are anywhere between plus 113 and plus 115. Trevor Williams continues to be a guy that I really like to back. I've said this on the podcast many times and I'll continue to say it. After the All-Star break last year, he had the best ERA of any big league starter out there and he's been pretty good this year. 2-1 record, 3-4-0 ERA in 15 and third innings. He's given up just three home runs and nine walks. Not necessarily a swing and miss guy, but he does a very good job of being able to limit hard contact, which will play to him very well out there at Petco. Meanwhile, Lauer... He's a below-average starter, 2-4 record, 5.75 ERA. He's allowed seven home runs in 40 and two-thirds innings. Knowing that he pitches at Petco Park, that's actually really bad. He's also given up 14 walks, not a strikeout artist himself. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, they seem to be coming alive with the bats a little bit more. Josh Bell hitting 3.33, 12 home runs, 39 RBI. Melky Cabrera hitting 2.40. You got a couple bats out there that are struggling a little bit. Cody Tucker and Francisco Cervelli, along with Jong Kong, all hitting below the Mendoza line. But and Frazier at the top lineup hitting right around 252. Sterling Marte, when he went on the injured list, was hitting around 220. He's now hitting 265. Gregory Polanco hitting 295. You've also got Colin Moran, who's able to provide a little bit of power as well. So I like the way that those guys are rounding into form. And with the San Diego Padres, as a collective, they're not necessarily hitting for the best of averages at 232. Now, Femio Reyes is absolutely providing the power right now. 273 average, 12 home runs, and 23 RBI going into their Wednesday matchup with the LA Dodgers. Manny Machado seems to be picking it up along with Eric Cosmer. Both these guys hitting right around 265 to 270-ish with Machado being able to provide nine home runs. And Hunter Renfro last week had four home runs, but he seems to be a little bit hit or miss with the bag. He's only hitting 233. They've had to pretty much remove Ian Kinsler from the lineup because he was hitting below the Mendoza line. And the catcher spot in general for the San Diego Padres has been a woe, but Greg Garcia at the top lineup doing a job of getting on, but one thing that we also know about the San Diego Padres, they do have a tremendous bullpen. It actually ranks in the bottom half in regards to ERA, which I thought was interesting. I think that could be because of guys like Matt Whistler and company, but whenever you get into the guys like Craig Stram and Kirby Yates, they all do a very good job, and with the Pittsburgh Pirates, we know that Valdez does a very good job of being able to close out games for this team as well. Michael Felice has not necessarily been doing the job as a bridge guy, but I think that Trevor Williams is going to be able to deliver at least seven strong innings, and I think that he's is going to help the Pirates win a little bit of a lower scoring game. So for that reason, it wins Z-Mode on both these numbers, but going to be riding the Pirates and the under in this game. 961, 962 on the batting rotation. The Oakland A's are in Detroit to face off against the Tigers. Spencer Turnbull goes for the Detroit Tigers. Chris Bassett goes for the Oakland A's. I think that this game is hook, line, and sinker because we have a Bassett in it. The total on this game is 8.5, and the over is minus 120. Under has a juice of even. If you like the Oakland A's, you're going to be getting minus 125 to minus 127. If you want to take the Detroit Tigers, that's anywhere between plus 115 and plus 117. You know that the Tigers bullpen is completely gassed after having to run out there. Ryan Carpenter and Gregory Soto the last two days, so it should be a breath of fresh air that Spencer Turnbull goes out there because he's actually been pretty sensational for the Detroit Tigers. And then you've got another good starter out there with Chris Bassett. Spencer Turnbull's ERA is a 2.42. Bassett, 2.55. Turnbull's maybe allowing a couple too many walks. 44 and two-thirds innings, 18 walks allowed, but just three home runs. Bassett, he actually gives up a couple too many dingers. Five home runs in 24 and two-thirds innings, but he's only issued seven walks, so these guys are a little bit of an opposite. And Bassett, 31 strikeouts in 24 and two-thirds innings. I certainly don't think that'll keep up for the rest of the year, but what we know about the Detroit Tigers is... This is a team that is not hitting very well, to say the least. Ronnie Rodriguez has actually been sensational for the Tigers, hitting above 300 with six home runs ever since he's been called up to the big leagues. Even though he has only one home run so far this year, Miguel Cabrera has also been hitting for an average above 280, but then from there, the bright spots really come to an end as you've got Jacoby Jones, Josh Harrison, and Jameer Candelario all hitting below the Mendoza line. It's not much better for Nico Goodrum and Christian Stewart, who are barely hitting above 200 themselves. Brandon Dixon's hitting right around 300. That's nice. And Nick Castellanos right in the realm of 270. But man, this is a team that they just don't have the bats working. But with the Oakland A's, the good news is they really don't have a lot going on with their bats either. As Chris Davis now has 12 home runs, but he's only hitting 236. They're just not hitting well for average in general. As Marcus Simeon entering into Wednesday's contest was essentially the team's best hitter 
in regards to average at a 275. Chad Pender's hitting 270, and Matt Chapman at 266. But Jerickson Profar, Matt Olson, and Robbie Grossman all hitting 215 or worse. Mark Hanna has also seen his average dip below the Mendoza line. You're not getting a whole lot more out of Ramon Loreno is hitting 222, and Steven Piscotti has been up and down all year long. So certainly on the under, I do feel like Turnbull has a little bit of an advantage over Bassett. And with the Oakland A's, they've got some very untrusty arms out there in the bullpen. Shall I name them off? Fernando Rodney. Blake Tryon has actually been very good for this team, but we even saw Lou Trevino gas can a game against the Seattle Mariners a couple days ago. We all know that Joaquin Soria is not very trustworthy. J.B. Wendelkirk. And it's not that the Detroit Tigers necessarily have the greatest bullpen ever, but I give Spencer Turnbull a little bit of an advantage in regards to the pitching matchup, and I think the Tigers are going to be able to win a very low-scoring game in this one. So for that reason, I am all aboard the Tigers and the under. Currently, Wayne Seymour on the under because it looks like there's a chance that this might be able to get to nine, and right now I'm seeing a little bit of steam coming in on the Oakland A's. So could be on the Tigers and the under. Just a matter of wait and see mode as to what numbers I'm going to get in particular. 963, 964 on the bank rotation. The Texas Rangers are in Kansas City to face off against the Royals. Homer Bailey goes for the Royals. Lance Lynn for the Texas Rangers. The total on this game is 10, and the over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115, and that means that it is the same for the under, as this is pretty much a pick'em game across the board. If you like the Royals, you're going to be laying minus 105. If you like the Rangers, you're going to be laying minus 105. That makes things all nice, clean, and easy for me. You call either of these starting pitchers necessarily trustworthy would not be good, and let's face it, both these bullpens towards the bottom half of the league in regards to ERA, but we've actually seen some guys like Ian Kennedy, Jake Diekman, and company pitch a little bit better out there in the Kansas City Royals bullpen, and for the Texas Rangers, they've actually gotten some surprisingly decent results from the bullpen themselves. Ariel Gerardo and Chris Martin both have ERAs below three for the Texas Rangers, and with Lance Lynn, he seems to be getting back on track in 47 and two-thirds innings. His walks are a little bit too high with 17 and the 149 whip not necessarily good along with a 5-4-8 ERA, but a little bit of that is because he does play out there in that bandbox known as Glove Life Park, and we all know about Homer Bailey. He's actually been much better this year, 4-3 and three record. But teams that he's started for, I believe, are now like 6-33 and 33 in their last 39 games. It's just hard to have any faith in them whatsoever. And with the Kansas City Royals, we were talking about it a little bit earlier. This is a team that is very top-heavy. They've got a couple guys who are doing a great job of being able to hit for this team. Eight Alberto Mondesi, over 33 RBI so far this year. He's hitting 270-ish. Whit Merrifield hitting nearly 300. Alex Gordon hitting nearly 300. He's provided some power with eight home runs so far this season. Heck, Jorge Soler has a double-digit amount of home runs that is hitting 260. But then you take a look at Ryan O'Hearn, Martin Maldonado, Chris Gallagher, all hitting below 200. Billy Hamilton's hitting 230, and that's with an uptick for him. So things all in all, not necessarily going great at the bottom of the lineup for the Kansas City Royals. And then with the Texas Rangers, you've got a little bit of a feast or famine team. Joey Gallo has 12 home runs and 30 RBI, but you can't think that he's going to be able to keep up this average that is hovering right around 250-ish for the entire season. Hunter Pence is hitting nearly 300, but we're seeing him come back to earth. And since Chu Chu has seen his average dip back down below 300. Danny Santana not being in the lineup the past couple days has hurt them, though they still have Luke Forsyth and Elvis Andrews, who are both hitting above 300. But neither Jeff Mathis or Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa have been doing a very good job at all of hitting at the catcher spot. Rudnett Odor hitting below the Mendoza line. Noah Mazzara, 235. Ezreal Cabrera, 231. The list goes on and on. So while the Texas Rangers are being able to get a lot of runs, I think that that's in for some regression. And I do actually think that they're going to be able to get to Homer Bailey. I have a little bit more faith in this spot in Lance Lynn. We've seen Lance Lynn have a little bit of a better track record than Homer Bailey. So for that reason, I'm actually looking at a run line with the Texas Rangers. Currently, I'm seeing it at plus 150. Currently, Wayne Simo trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more here. But I'm going to be on this total under. I'm right now waiting to see if this total takes up a little bit more because right now it's just going all over the place. So I want to see where it settles in. But going to be on the Rangers run line and going to be on the under in this spot. 965, 966 on the bang rotation. The Baltimore Orioles head to Cleveland to face off against the Indians. Trevor Bauer goes for the Indians. Dan Straley goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Throwing this game eight and a half with the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The under is between minus 110 and minus 115 juice. 
If you like the Indians, that you're going to be laying a lot of juice. Anywhere between minus 300 and minus 330. With the Orioles, that is anywhere between plus 240 and plus 270. Man, I wish that there was a way that I could take the Baltimore Orioles in the spot. But with them coming off a double dip and how untrustworthy Dan Straley is... This is a tough spot. Now, Dan Straley did pull off a nice money line win against the Boston Red Sox earlier this year. I just don't see that duplicating itself. He has a whip of a 183, 8-2-3 ERA, and in 27 and a third innings, he's issued 12 walks, given up 38 hits, and 9 home runs. Trevor Bauer, I know that he's had some starts where it's been a little bit confusing with him, but he's got a 4-2 record, 3-0-2 ERA, 1-1-1 whip, 59 and two-thirds innings. He's given up six home runs. 27 walks are a little bit high, but he's also got 72 strikeouts. And then with the Baltimore Orioles, this is a team that I do think are going to be able to put a couple runs up there on the board. Their arms are going to be tired because we all know that they've got one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues, but they were able to get some pretty solid starts out of guys like Andrew Kashner and, of all guys, Hess yesterday, so that was obviously a good sign for them. But when it comes to their bats, Dwight Smith Jr. has eight home runs. He's hitting nearly 275. Trey Boom Boom Mancini we all know what he can do. He's hitting above 300. He's provided some power. C.V. Wilkerson is hitting 270. Answer Alberto, 265. Pedro Severino and Jeff Rickard towards the bottom of the lineup aren't necessarily doing great, though Severino, more around 240, not necessarily bad. And Rio Ruiz does a decent job of being able to get on base. But you got to feel like the Indians being able to get those nine runs against the Chicago White Sox a couple days ago is really what the team needed to get on back. Carlos Santana has really been their best bat so far this year. He's only got five home runs at 21 RBI, and he's hitting 271. But you got to feel like Francisco Lindor starting to come around. His average is around 279. Jordan Luplo now has four home runs and is hitting 280. Jason Kipnis and Jose Ramirez are both hitting below 210. You got to think at some point that's going to get going. Carlos Gonzalez is hitting in the realm of 230 along with Roberto Perez. And you got to think that Leonis Martin, who's hitting 221, is going to be able to pick things up as well. And I do think that a good place to start is with Dan Straley and a bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles that stinks. And then with the Cleveland Indians, you've got one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. You've got so many guys that you can trust in, like Brad Hand. Kimber has been a good guy for this team. Nick Whitgren as well. So there's a lot of guys that you can trust. So for that reason, I'm looking at the Indians' run line. Currently, I'm seeing it between minus 145 and minus 150. If at all possible, I'd be, I would love to be able to lay a little bit less juice. But I've already locked in this total over because I do think that the Indians' bats are starting to get it together. And I think that they're going to be able to hit the Orioles. And I think they're going to be able to hit them hard. 967, 968 on the betting rotation. You've got the Toronto Blue Jays in Chicago to face off against the White Sox. Dylan Covey goes for the White Sox. Marcus Stroman for the Toronto Blue Jays. So in this game is 9. With the under anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over has even juice and minus 105 as well. If you're looking at the Toronto Blue Jays, you're laying anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130. The plus price on the Chicago White Sox is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. It's just hard to trust Dylan Covey. I know that Marcus Stroman has had a rough go of it in his last couple starts, but all in all for the year, he's actually looked pretty good. you got to feel like maybe he's starting to find what his true watermark is because he was pitching above the skis at the beginning of the year, and towards the middle of the year, he's been pitching a little bit less. He certainly shouldn't be 1-6, though. 3-1-2 ERA, 1-2-9 whip. He's given up just three home runs and 52 innings. 18 walks, not necessarily great, but not necessarily bad. Whole heck of a lot better than Dylan Covey, who had two starts this year, 10 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 10 walks, two home runs, and he's got a whip of a 1-8-8 and a 4-91 ERA. What I will say about the Chicago White Sox is that it appears as though they're bullpen with guys like Bummer, Jace Fry, Carson Fulmer, and then you've obviously got Colome at the back end. is doing a whole heck of a lot better, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, they've actually had some very good relievers. Guys like Sam Gavilio coming off out of the pen have been very good. Ken Giles has actually proven himself to be a very good closer. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, it appears as though the bats are starting to get on live. Vlad Guerrero Jr. was able to have multiple home runs against the San Francisco Giants. You now have Eric Sogard back in the lineup. He's hitting in the realm of 300. That's obviously been really helping out the team. But you do still have a lot of guys that are struggling for this team, and you want to note that because Brandon Drury had a little bit of a power surge a few weeks ago, but he's barely hitting above the Mendoza line. Rowdy Telez has six home runs and is hitting 238, which is nice, but we've seen Freddie Galvis now hitting 280. He was above 300 for most of the year. And then you've got the catcher spot in general, which everyone at the catcher spot is hitting below 200. Tasker Hernandez hitting a buck 89 is not good. Justin Smoke hitting 217 obviously is a big issue as well. And then with the Chicago White Sox, 
sucks. You do have some good bats out there as well. We've noticed that Jose Abreu has really been able to pick things up, hitting 268, and he's been able to provide a whole lot of home runs along with Yuan Moncada. Moncada himself hitting about 275 himself. They do need to get a little bit more out of Yonder Alonso and Wellington Castillo. Both these guys hitting below 200. Yomer Sanchez hitting 224. Jose Rondon hitting 226 as well. But Ryan Cordell hitting 240 has been decent. And then Charlie Tilson has been a nice find for the outfield. Hitting above 300. Nicky Dalmatico though. 212 also sinks that a little bit. But all in all, I do like the way that the White Sox have been able to hit the Toronto Blue Jays last weekend. They were generating a lot of runs. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, I think that they're finally starting to get online with their bats. Randall Gritchick has been doing a better job for this team as well. And I do think that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to continue that into this series. So for that reason, I'm going to be taking a look at the over, trying to see if I'm able to get an 8.5 in the morning instead of a 9, but I'm going to be playing it either way. And I'm actually looking at the Blue Jays' run line. Dylan Covey is a guy that I am just fading hardcore. I gave you the numbers a little bit earlier. This guy is terrible, and I think that it's going to allow the Toronto Blue Jays to be able to get a big win. The Blue Jays, I'm currently seeing on the run line is at plus 125. We'd like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more of a plus 130 or plus 135, but we'll take the plus 125 if that is all that is given to me. And the final game on the betting board, 969-970. It is the Seattle Mariners playing goes to the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda, better known as Michael Pineda, goes for the Twins. Eric Swanson for the Seattle Mariners. Total in this game is 9.5 with the under anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The overjuice is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the Mariners, you're going to get anywhere between plus 103 and plus 105. One laid here with the Twins. That is anywhere between minus 113 and minus 115. This is interesting because we've got two guys that are very high on the fade list going at Michael Pinata, as you guys know, is a guy that I've been making quite a bit of fun of so far this year and Eric Swanson somehow some way actually has a worse ERA than him and with both these teams they are both towards the top of the league in regards to home runs allowed and Michael Pineda in 40 innings pitched he's given up 10 of them yeah ironically enough he's only given up nine walks and then for Eric Swanson if he pitched 40 innings he probably would also be at 10 because in 28 and a third innings he's given up seven home runs Ironically enough, he also does see some what the walks at five. Eric Swanson's ERA, 635. Michael Pineda's, 585. Now you got to look to the bullpen, and the Seattle Mariners' bullpen is just absolutely dreadful. We saw the Minnesota Twins blow the run line yesterday against the LA Angels, but all in all, other than Trevor Hildenberg, who certainly is not going to be pitching in this game, they've actually been doing a pretty decent job in recent weeks. That does make me default a little bit to the Minnesota Twins. And with the Twins in general, they do have a lot of guys that hit for a better average. With the Seattle Mariners, you've got so many guys with the power. Jay Bruce, Edwin Encarnacion, Mitch Hanniger, Ryan Ely, Daniel Vogelbach and company. But really, other than D. Gordon, nobody has a really, truly good average. I guess Omar Navarro is hitting right around 280. That's nice. But we've even seen D. Gordon be a little bit banged up in recent days. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, you've got Jorge Polanco, who's hitting 331. Now, Mitch Garver going to the injured list does not help, but it actually comes at a very good time as Williams Estadio is hitting 277. He's fresh off the injured list. Max Kepler only hitting 233 is a bit of a woe, but Eddie Rosario has been absolutely terrific for this team. He has 13 home runs and is hitting 247. CJ Crone and Marwin Gonzalez are starting to pick it up with their average. Ahir Adrianza got off to a terrible start, but he seems to be doing a little bit better. He got two hits yesterday. Johnson Scope is hitting 281. Byron Buxton at the bottom of the lineup hitting nearly 280 himself. So for that reason, I do look at the Twins at this spot, and I've locked in the Twins' money line, and I've already locked in this total over. I think that we're going to see runs of plenty here, and I default to the Twins because I just feel like they hit for a better average, and they've got the better bullpen. And that will do it for a Thursday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man, Alex Kaloje, for joining me in the last segment. Does tremendous work out there for the score. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet in it at GUNETRSquare81. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. And I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.